All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. This is Sugar Steve. On this week's QLS Classic, we revisit the July 11th, 2018 episode with Jeffrey Osborne. He recalls his time with LTD, making hits on his own, and playing on Soul Train. I also get to tell him which song of his changed my formative years. Questlove ain't the only one who gets to meet his heroes. Episode 92 of Questlove Supreme. Enjoy. Suprema, su, su, Suprema roll call. 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 Hey, it's all right with me. Yeah. No matter what you want to believe. Yeah. Half of Supreme teams here. Yeah. More for me and Steve. Roll call. Suprema, su, su, and built in Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema Roll Call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. What's it all about? Yeah. Roll Call. Yeah. Or Roll Out. Roll Call. I'll I'll explain later. Suprema Roll Call. Suprema. Suprema Roll Call. My shoelaces. Yeah. Have slowly loosened. Yeah. Please forgive me. Yeah. I'm only human. Roll call, Suprema, Suprema roll call, Suprema, Suprema roll call. My name is J.O. Yeah. Some call me Jeffrey. Yeah. Some call me Osborne. Yeah. Hey, what's left of me? Suprema, Suprema roll call, Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Wait, before I do anything, yes, I'm breaking tradition. Okay, I'm asking a question first, then I'll introduce our guest. Okay, Jeffrey Osborne. You just introduced our guest. 
Is that you drumming for Smokey Robinson on Soul Train in oh, 1974? With the part down the middle of my head? That ah. is you! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. That is me. <laughs> welcome. I knew it. I knew it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Questlove Supreme. I am Questlove. And uh, our Supreme team <laughs> consisting of... This is team today, yeah, not Supreme. Team. Yeah, yeah. Sugar Steve, who's very excited. I think more than anyone wanted this episode to go down. Yes. Sugar Steve. Uh, and of course, uh, Boss Bill with us. Not with us. Uh, Fontegolo is still waiting on his tiles for his, <laughs> for his basement <laughs> house furnishing. Uh, Laia somewhere getting our house together in uh, Los Angeles. Did you know that Fonte did a, an audio book recently? No. I didn't know that. Apparently, he narrated a children's book. It's called, the, the title is great. The title is called, We Used to Have Money, Now We Have You. <laughs> <laughs> you have some explaining to do, Fonte. Uh, and, and unpaid bills somewhere on Sesame Street. Yeah, Sesame Street land. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited about our guest today that I did absolutely no prep work whatsoever because <laughs> I think I can just go off the top of the dome. Um, one of my personal, just in my my top five soul singers ever. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I haven't been this happy for Steve. I mean, he means much more... <laughs> Even more than me, then Steve is mad at me already for putting him on the spot. No, like that. no, it's I well don't I mean I know. I, okay, okay, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome <laughs> Jeffrey Osborne to Quest Love Supreme when we open yeah, the door. All right. Yes. All right, all right. We've been trying to make this happen for a second. Uh thank you for coming on the show. Oh, it's great, man. I I'm enjoying it. Um I even got started and I'm enjoying it. Trust me, this is this is black music nerd paradise. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Steve. <laughs> well, I'm a nerd. Well, that's where the nerd came in, huh? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um. So, okay. Where? My first question is always, where were you born? In Providence, Rhode Island. Really? Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah. Youngest of twelve. Oh wow. Really? That's a really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, think I've uh, ever had a situation where someone wasn't born down south or in the Midwest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're probably our first Northeast. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was interesting growing up there. Not a lot of black people. What was I think my family <laughs> probably represented the most black people in Rhode Island. <laughs> really? No, but there's there's not a lot. So it was kind of shocking when I uh, when I met LTD because they told me it was a ten piece black band playing downtown. I'm like, I ain't and it seen, wasn't your brother. I ain't seen ten black musicians together in a while in Providence. So I was kind of interested. They started in Providence. No, they were actually Sam and Dave's backup band. Back when Sam and Dave were rolling during the Hold On I'm Coming days, yeah. wow. Soul Man days, they were called Soul Men LTD, Soul Men Limited. And they left them uh, in the early, well, actually around 69, and they were based in North Carolina. So they okay. started coming up the East Coast playing in the clubs. And uh, I met them in a little nightclub in my hometown of Providence, Rhode Island, believe it or not. So was it a musical family? Uh, my family? That, yeah. Yeah, quite a bit. I say eight of eight of the twelve of us were into music, either played instruments or sang. Uh, my father was a great trumpet player, and you know he was one of those guys that never went after his dream. But you know, anytime any of the big bands came through town, like Ellington and Basie, he would run down and play trumpet with them. And he was a pretty amazing trumpet player. 
But he had 12 kids. That's what you get for having 12 damn kids. I'm like, I don't even know how you have 12 kids. You couldn't do it today. Yeah. Back then, it was, you know, it was a lot of big families back then. Oh, okay. So he just worked a few jobs, you know, during the day and uh, played at night in the clubs. And uh, what was the he main, was well-known. What was the main industry in Rhode Island? Uh, costume jewelry. Still is, you know. Really? Yeah, especially in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Huge costume jewelry place, yeah. So... Similar to people moving to Detroit for cars or factories <laughs> yeah. in the Midwest. Right. Costume jewelry, like the that was, epicenter that was, is in... Yeah, it was in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, right. The more, crazy? the more you know. Right, right. Mm. Wow, that's crazy. So, uh, well, leading back to my original question, uh, can I assume that drums was your weapon of choice first, or how did you... Uh, well, I've always... Singing I was... Wine weapon of choice first. I started singing in nightclubs when I was 13. My mother used to chaperone me, and I would go. I started my first job was in New London, Connecticut, a little club called Ebony Lounge. It was pretty. I was 13. I, you know, I thought I was doing big shit back then. I was making ten dollars a night, but you know that was whew, that was way back then. And uh, I started playing drums when I was about 15. My brother Billy, who was a drummer, left a set in the basement. You know, and so I kind of was a self-taught drummer but everything that's happened for me has happened through drumming like when I met LTD their drummer had gotten locked up that night I went to see him for smoking weed in 1970 that was like a major offense now everybody got a marijuana card right you know it don't mean nothing today but they locked him up and I sat in played drums with him sang a couple of songs and they asked me to join the group so So, you you winged your first gig with LTD, not knowing. Yeah, but they were doing top 40. And I used to work part-time in the record store, so I kind of knew everything that was out then. So it was kind of easy. And I was playing locally in my band. So so I sat in with them and, uh, you know, sang a couple of songs. And I don't know, that guy was in jail for a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then the funny thing, when I was 15, uh, I met the OJs in a club in Providence. So I went to see them perform. Mm-hmm. And when... They had a drummer, and back then, you know, the the drum of passion was heroin. You know, that's what a lot of our black musicians got hung up into back in the day. Mm-hmm. And so he was nodding out in between songs, and I'm watching him, and I'm like, damn, this dude was falling asleep in between songs. So club owner let me meet them. I talked to Eddie. I was like, you need a drummer. They said, okay, well, if you can find us one because you're too young. I'm like, no, nah, I can play. No, I said, okay. So I brought about three drummers up, and I auditioned. And uh, I got the job. So I played with them for two weeks while they were in Providence. And so I kind of owe my career to drugs. <laughs> <laughs> drugs and drums. But again, drumming is, you know, what opened the door for, for all of that. I see. See? Yeah. Drumming opens the door. There you go. To an industry. Wait, what year was the, was it before? Uh, it was 1970. All right, I so met, before yeah. they made their in Philadelphia record a year later. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They, actually, they had five people in the group. There was five singers. There. Okay. Yeah. That lineup. Um, so so you're saying that before your nightclub hopping, you didn't have like a, a high school band experience or any? Not a high school band experience, but I played with a lot of the you know, musicians that I played with were all from the same high school. We played together, but... I was the only black one. <laughs> but yeah, but I did play with a lot of musicians that were working their way through Berklee School of Music in Boston. 
So that was nice because uh, I got a chance to play with some really good musicians back then. Oh, so you even had to learn repertoire for rock music and yeah, I was playing nightclubs, but it, it was actually the funny thing. It was in the ghetto. It was a hood. There was a hood in Providence, mm -hmm. so I was basically doing mostly uh, R and B, mostly R and B music, you know. Uh, but I, you know, I grew up listening to jazz because my whole family was into jazz. I'm the youngest of twelve, and I'm seventy years old, so. So everybody was listening to Sarah Vaughn and Ella Fitzgerald and Billy Eckstein and Joe Williams. And uh, my dad was into Miles Davis. But his favorite trumpet player, obviously, was Clifford Brown. So I got a chance to listen to everything, you know. Uh, so, you know, back in when I started, I, I was singing a couple jazz songs, you know, in, in R&B. You know, I kind of mixed it up. But I did, did not a lot of rock. Didn't Wasn't into rock. Who were your then. influences as far as vocal? Back then? Yeah. Uh, my, you know, my biggest influence, which everybody finds strange, was a singer named Gloria Lynn. Oh, yeah. oh, Gloria Lynn Gloria. was actually my biggest influence. I didn't realize that till down the line, and I went back and started listening to Gloria Lynn records, and I'm like, damn, I phrase a lot of things like her. I guess subconsciously I was kind of really into her. Uh, but, you know, Sarah was my favorite. I loved Sarah Vaughn. I loved... Uh, you know, I loved all the jazz singers. And then, of course, coming up, there was the tip, you know, the regulars, the Donny Hathaways, the Marvin Gaye's, you know, those people I loved. And, uh, you know, Stevie, Stevie was singing back then, you know, at 13 years old, I was still trying to sing Fingertips. And my voice was that high back then. And my mm -hmm. voice dropped from male soprano to bass from junior high school to high school. Wow. One semester. It's crazy. So when did LTD officially start or, or as a group? Or even at that time, you were freelancing as a drummer and right. in the group at the same time? Well, we, we took a trip to L.A. And uh, they were actually from Rhode Island. We drove to L.A. with a big U-Haul trailer on the back of the car. And that broke off. And it snapped the bumper and rolled down a mountain in Flagstaff, wait, Arizona. Wait, wait, wait. What? what? Oh. Wait. So, yeah, I mean, we were driving through Flagstaff. People don't realize it snows in Flagstaff, Arizona. So it was going up a little hill, and it was icy, and uh, cars just started skidding, and the trailer snapped off, rolled down the hill. So we had to uh, get someone to go down and pull it back up. And we, we were there for a couple of days trying to get the bumper repaired. And so we drove out to L.A. in 1970, and we played in every nightclub in L.A. for no money. It was the price of admission. Really? We, it was 10 of us living in a one-bedroom house, wow. and we played for the admission, and which fee was back then was $2 a head to get in. So, you know, if we got 40 people in the nightclub, we had $80 to split 10 ways. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was sending home for money. My my, my parents was like, saying, uh, don't you think it might be time to come back home? My, my <laughs> right. older brother was like, I was like, dude, just send me the money. <laughs> I don't want to hear this. It's an investment. I don't want to hear this lecture right now. <laughs> I, I, well, I do want to ask, how is it or was it feasible? Because, you know, the 70s had super groups. Yeah. And... In my mind, I mean, I I was in the 90s in a band of four members. We were struggling. Oh, yeah. And so I, you know, used to wonder, like, well, 
what was the system like for bands in the 70s that were 10, 11, 12, 13 strong? You all had costumes. You yeah. all had all these elements. Was per diem a thing back then in the day? Oh, like, I didn't even know what per diem was until I became a solo artist. And then you what had to pay it out of your pocket. Right. right. That's when I had to pay it to other musicians. Right. That's when I realized, oh, this is per diem. I got to pay this. <laughs> but no, yeah, we, there was no per diem back then. I mean, we were struggling just to get by and uh, and pay the rent. You know, uh, it was, I mean, what you got to look at it for what it is. I mean, even when we became a hit group in the 72 was our first record. Mm -hmm. So it took us a couple of years to get rolling, you know. And then even when we were popular, you split anything ten ways, that ain't nothing. You can take a million dollars, split it ten ways, that ain't and nothing. It still ain't nothing. You know, right. so yeah, it it gets it's rough for those groups back then. A lot of them, they, you don't realize the struggle that they went through. And then again, then you got you know people's personalities clashing, and mm -hmm. this one wants to do this, and that one wants to do that, and there's always a struggle. It's it's tough. So I admire the groups that came out of those that those that era. You know. So even before uh, you were scheduled to do the show i found a record on sunday i didn't realize that there was a uh i guess your first record on AM, and there was a, a woman in the group as well oh yeah celeste her name is celeste yeah so was she always in the group in the beginning or no there was a girl named tammy star in the group when i joined the group and uh you know there was you know a lot of people that went through that group we had a baritone sax player we had a percussionist and times got hard, and they dropped out before we even got the record going. You know, Ooh, I so. know they were salty. <laughs> yeah, they're a little upset now. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it it happens like that. You know, it's hard to make that struggle and give up everything. Uh, so she was with us for one record. Okay, what was one the audition record. process like, and how many other labels were you guys gunning for, or how did you even gain the attention? Well, of we we actually got our first deal through a production deal that Jerry Butler had. On AM Records. Jerry, funny how Jerry, Jerry Butler <laughs> always He's fun. always popping up in these stories. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Leon Silver, like yeah. everyone has a Jerry Butler Jerry Butler's connection. Story. Yeah. So he had a production company? He had a production one. company. So we signed to his production company. And after our first record, the label then came over and signed us directly to the label. Even though we didn't do any sales on the first record, I couldn't figure that out. But they, they signed us directly to the label after the first record. What do you think it was that... Uh, I think back then it was so different than it is today because they had artist development departments. So they could look, they could see us live, they watched the potential, and they said, three years down the line, we know what you could be. That don't happen anymore today. And so they invested in developing us, and you know they went out, they found producers, and uh, that's why music is so different today. Today, man, I mean, we used to get a piano vocal and we'd be able to hear what this song could be and record companies could today you got to give them a fully produced yeah. product and they still can't hear what it's supposed to be it's crazy wow <laughs> so when you nabbed that record deal was there suddenly uh dreams and hopes of like okay we made it big time and what were those early struggle days like? Well, it was, you know, what, what, what we did first with, it, with the A&M was we played behind a couple of their artists. So we played behind Mary Clayton. Mm. And we did all her live shows. And we had this one show was at the Monterey Folk Festival. Mm -hmm. I guess it was 1971, end of 1971. 
And somebody fell out. So they asked us to do a 20-minute set. And we did a 20-minute set. It was like 80,000 people, and they went crazy. That's when the record company said, okay, we see what you can be now. Uh, so it was, you know, it was a grind. But we were doing all original material, and it was a lot of it was social protest material back then. So we were kind of turning Gosh. people on and turning people off. <laughs> <laughs> Did that seem like so? Was it Albert? Did you guys have a relationship with Albert or Moss at the time when you? Uh, not really. No, the first year we didn't. We were trying to form a relationship, but 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 Jerry was our guy, Jerry Moss. I mean, Herb Albert was the music guy, you know, because mm -hmm. he was off doing his thing. But Jerry Moss is the one that really believed in us, and uh, and uh, you know, he he put the support behind us. Okay. See, yeah, at the time I thought that the the Getting Down album, I thought that was the first album. I didn't realize that there was one before that. Yeah, yeah the it was one just before a, it's just called LTD. Really, a real forgettable record. <laughs> well, you know, Getting Down was kind of forgettable too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was a, the, the struggle was it was everybody wanted to sing. So if you listen to those early albums, there's about four different lead singers on exactly. the record. And so Like I thought is, you were just the drummer of the group and yes. didn't figure out. So this is where the company came in and and you know, the third record, they said, Okay, you know, this is our third your third record we're invested in. We now have to zero in on a voice. There's too many lead singers and we think he should do the majority of the vocals. How was that how was I don't that? think that still sits well with them. Oh wow. Wait, to this day? To this day, yeah, because they feel that if it if, if everybody a had a chance to sing when I left, they would still be viable. So I get that, you know. If it wasn't for the producer giving you all the damn songs and you know, when you left we'd have been straight. I'm like, like, well, maybe y'all should have had a hit with some of the oh. songs you sang. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't mad at I wasn't mad at cutting it up. That was that was <laughs> No, that, that became a you know a hip hop. That became a hip hop staple. It was different because all this time I thought it was P Funk related. I didn't realize it was LTD. But um, well, who was managing you guys at the time? Uh, back then, it was a guy named Ron Nadell. Okay, he was one of our first managers, and uh, so in in a situation like that, at least with ten people, like who's the who's the alpha uh, the well, alpha figure that. There was breaks up fights. It was an alpha figure when I first joined the group. His name was Onion. He had a ball was he head. Ball head? He was ball headed. I know it. Well, Onion. Onion yeah, was yeah. Onion was the guy. He was the leader. And after I was in the group for about a year and a half, my brother Billy came in the group. Okay. And he's an alpha. So they clashed. So oh. you know, it was like, okay, I want to run it this way. I want to run it this way. And so I'm sitting in the middle because I was doing most of the work and the lead singing. So. It's like, who am I going to side with? So that got old with me. I had to side with somebody, you know. And uh, But there were two. There were two that really wanted to control the group. And the group was just set up wrong, you know. Um, and, you know, you, they, which is good. When you see the way groups are set up today, it's a, it's a lot better for the individuals to actually evolve. Mm -hmm. Back then, you know, we had this songwriter's agreement that for some stupid reason I signed. And so when I was ready to leave the group, I was still signed to this songwriter's agreement. 
And then they didn't want to give me a solo record because A&M came to me and said, we want to give you a solo project. And they're like, no, he can't do the solo project. He's exclusive with us. There were people that wanted me to write songs. No, exclusive songwriter agreement with us. So it got stifling to the point where I really couldn't evolve if I wanted to. And, uh, you know, so... Uh, in 1979, I told him I wanted to leave the group, and then I stayed on another year just to make it easier for them to find someone. And then I did the next tour, and that was in '79. That was the tour we did with the Jacksons. Yeah. And, uh, and that was so. That was the last tour, and then I think I did one more tour. But then when I got ready to leave the group in 1980, it got it got kind of ugly. ugly. That's so. That's why I've, there's never been a reunion. You know, everybody said, "How come there's no LTD reunion?" Well, even it's just the way that it we split up. It wasn't. It wasn't an wasn't, amicable, amicable. wasn't an amicable split, right? Yo, what's up? This is Fonte Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What was it like working with the, the Mizell brothers who... What's interesting? They produced the... Yeah. Uh, Blackbirds. Love to the World record. Yeah. yeah, they produced Love to the World record. They were interesting. Uh, uh, they were good because they had... Uh, 
you know, they, they brought in some very good people as far as, uh, you know, orchestrating things, you know, uh, I think Love Ballad was orchestrated so well back then. And, uh, but you know, we, we did well with the, with them. The, the funny story with them is that, uh, I think I sang the lead vocal on Love Ballad at five o'clock in the morning after I sat and waited for them to show up. And uh, I was so pissed off, I did one take and left, and that was it. Oh, wow. It was, it was like, I mean, you know, I'm there at like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. I'm all pumped, ready to sing. No show, no show. I think they showed up about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, and so we had this big round table discussion. I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm gone. Just sing this song one time. Just try it. I'm like, all right. So I sang it. One take. That's the alpha that was it. That's the infamous Quincy Jones. Oh, the Alpha, Alpha State. State. Yeah, yeah. Quincy Jones has a theory <laughs> that, um, well, for, for a lot of the music, he would choose to record, uh, when he was making the dude, choose to record uh, his musicians at those ungodly hours. Right. Because he says that if you're fully aware, um, you'll tend to overthink your performance in the studio. Right. Whereas if you're just tired... Uh, you just do the matter at hand without putting right. a second thought into it. And well, that, that might work for musicians, but if you're tired as a singer, <laughs> no, but you can't. Yeah, so you, like, you're saying when you listen to Love Ballad, like you're like, ah, I was pitchy on the part, or I should have. No, I it, it was I was you know, but you know, for me, for the most part of my career, my first takes were always my best take, always. You know, and I would always go back and do another take, and it was like I was trying to sing like myself now. I'm trying to, you know. But the first impression was always the right impression. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in that, you know. So rarely if you worked with a producer, it's just like... Oh, yeah. One take time, 17. One time. George Duke? No, I love George Duke. Oh, who? He was... George Duke was... Oh, man, I was so close with George. Uh, Richard Perry. Richard Perry, who had all these hits with the Pointer Sisters and... No. Wait, I did which, a which album did he produce? He produced the emotional album with the Woo Woo song on it. Woo, okay, okay. And Soweto, right? And Soweto. Right? Yeah, that was my joint. Uh, but I pulled it from him after a certain point and took it. So we're, we're not friends to this day. But, uh, but he, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I was like, take 24. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm sang this song 20 times. You have it. But he never knew what he had. He had to sit up. And listen to this take and this take and then piece all this together. And I'm like, that ain't even real. So we, you know, after a while, I was like, I, I, I got to get away. So and and that was a A&M Records decision because that was the first record I did without George. He did my first three solo records. Okay. And then here comes Richard Perry. And it was like, you know, George was a dream. He was, to me the best producer I've ever worked with as far as knowing how to work with a vocalist because most of the other producers were kind of intimidated and didn't know what to tell me to do. Mm -hmm. But George was, I mean, the dude, the dude was, he's scary. He had like perfect pitch. He always say, he says he's on that perfect, but he had perfect pitch. And uh, he would just make suggestions that was so right on, you know, and I was like, yeah, George, that's pretty cool. That works, you know. So I had a great relationship with George, but Richard was a different guy. You know, it was back in the day when uh, people were doing things that they shouldn't be doing in the booth. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, 
and he never knew when he had it. And it was like that with the musicians also. It just was take after take after take after take. So he was the one guy that uh, I've never had that experience with any other producer. Who, who chose? How did you guys even get a love ballad? Would Skip Skip Scarborough wrote it? Skip Scarborough um, wrote it. And uh, did he have a relationship with you guys? It was just like hey, no. I got a song. And I think my Zells knew him. Okay. Uh, and uh, and Maurice passed on it. Maurice White passed on it. He Whoops. gave it to him first. <clears throat> Oops. I'm trying to mat. I'm trying to imagine that. Yeah, I, can, I, can, I think I, I probably just it. didn't work for him, you know. I can kind of hear yow. it. I get, I get, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Ow. It, it would have the earth went fire shovel. <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. It would, it would be like Love Solid Day. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that now. Skip was great, though. Skip was oh, yeah. brilliant cat. I used to play, play drums with Skip around town. Really? We used to play behind artists all the time. Yeah, me and Skip, so... Skip was a cool guy. Great oh, songwriter. Wait, there was a, I, I have a question about, um, like we had a, 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 a cheap ecosystem or like a reverb ecosystem <laughs> in the mics thing. And like, how, how, that came out in 70. Probably seven, seven to love, 77. Okay, so I was six. So, so the first song, I haven't heard it since I was a kid, but I remember the first song, someone's yelling the word showdown on the fade. Oh yeah, that's my sure brother. Down. Right. That's my and brother. So really. in my father's uh speaker system, like all you have to do is test, test, one, two, one, two, one, right. two. And something told me, okay, go over there and turn on the ecosystem. But it's nightclub. I'm like, sure down. And and just, <laughs> I was permanently taken off of I never told y'all that I got fired from sound and he was like, No, you just work lights now. You're not you're not working monitors or sounds anymore. Showdown. That's funny. Yeah. But uh, with you guys' presentation, uh, which watching a lot of bands, I will say that maybe Heatwave is probably the only other band I knew that really put a lot of emphasis on their choreography and their acrobatics. I mean, Heatwave was- Oh, they were crazy. Yeah, they were literally <clears throat> they doing- They were doing like, flips and backflips. You and... ever see Heatwave live or clips? Uh, yeah. I've seen like- <clears throat> couple clips you ever see like bring it on or like those cheerleading uh espn cheerleading squad oh things yeah, 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 yeah where they're standing on shoulders and <laughs> they things were doing like that? that heat wave was damn near doing like human pyramids like oh wow but yeah. playing at the same time but still like johnny wilder's like right on someone's shoulders and someone's on his shoulders oh. and oh, wow crazy but you guys were like well our horn section was flashy they did all kinds of steps yeah y'all yeah. y'all were they so always, together with yeah so what was in that in that period when 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 the wheels were turning the hits were coming were you guys like okay we got to have a presentation better than this group and that group like oh yeah it was very competitive back then the interesting thing was though that there was one guy that made all the damn uniforms <laughs> which Ooh. people don't know a guy named Bill Witten Bill Witten made the Commodore's uniforms, LTD's uniforms, Earth, wondering. Wind, and Fire's uniforms. We all had those big tubes and stuff and all this. Yeah, and the mirrors on the yeah, thing. Exactly. I was wondering. <laughs> yeah, it was a guy named Bill Witten. And, uh, you know. But, yeah, it was, you know, it was it was competitive back then. Uh, but it was a it was a fun kind of competitiveness. You know, we, we would challenge each other, you know. Did you ever think, like, okay, well, Parliament's cheating because they're using theatrics 
And we need to do that. We need to levitate. Oh, God. Earth, Wind, and Fire is using duck oh, henning. Oh, yeah, they had, right. Duck henning and all that stuff. So was there any discussion of... Because I know that in opening for the Jacksons and their affinity for explos- explosives and all those things, right. like, was there the thought process, like, we now have to add, on top of these songs, to right. add these theatrical elements to our show? I don't think we ever felt that... Uh... I think we were just happy to finally be getting a paycheck and not put it all into production. <laughs> but uh, you're right, cause that that uh, that Jackson tour was eye-opening for me. Uh, you know, that was actually the year Michael came out with "Off the Wall." That was mm-hmm. his first solo record. So we used to open for them, and then they would come out and do theirs, and then he would go back and come back as a solo artist. Right, and uh, it was a fascinating show it was amazing uh just that whole just traveling with that i i've never seen anybody that the fans went so crazy over as michael i mean it was it was it was scary to watch it how did for that particular tour how did product i'm thinking in terms of production like as far as backline is concerned like normally if we carried all of it back then most of it really yeah so you guys set up and did your loading and all that stuff yeah, well, no, we didn't. We had roadies, but I mean, we, you know, we weren't renting back line back then, you know. Well, just even the, <clears throat> the, the point of like using an established act wouldn't want uh, an opening act right. that had, you know, I would just think like LTD, ah, oh, damn, all those microphones, and then they got right. a sound check, use their soundboard, and then I got to wipe the board. There was no oh, yeah. digital stuff back then. Right. So it was like as big as their production was then what space did that leave you guys, all 10 of you, to set up your in- instruments and your equipment and your... Well, you know, the biggest thing was them setting up because we went, we went on first. So it was kind of easy for us. I mean, you know, once we set, finished, then they had to set that whole stage up for them. But the thing, but they made it tough for us. They did make it tough for us because, I mean, we had to... You know, I always tell people, they're like, I do shows with people, and they're like, well, you got... This banner, take this banner down. I'm like, dude, I sang shows with the Jackson sign literally hanging on top of my <laughs> on head. On top of you. I'm, I'm ducking, right? <laughs> and these, so yeah, so it was challenging because, you know, they were the headlining act. And so, you know, they could leave their most of their stuff up. So we had to play around it. So a lot of times we didn't even have that much room on stage. But we were an incredible live band. I know. I mean, and, uh, and they kicked us off that tour. They really? Would, oh, they kicked us up. Before they went to L.A., they was like, you will not be opening for us in L.A. They kicked us off the tour. Uh, we did a handful of days. We did Madison Square Garden here. and uh, But we used to light them groups up. Commodores, we used to light them up. <laughs> <laughs> telling you. It was, nobody wanted us in front of them. Really? We, were, we were a great live group. And, uh, you know, so... That's that's how it was back in the day, man. You know, you had to bring it. You had to bring you, it. You said that a competition was a, was really big back then. Who were some of the the bands that you guys were afraid of, or uh, were you well, afraid of? Anything? You know, we. I mean, all, everybody was good back then. So you know, we were on shows with, you know, with the Commodores mainly. And the big tour back then was LTD Commodores. We did maybe two, three years of, the, of that tour, and then we'd be on packages. So we were with the OJ's a lot, Confunction. Uh, you know, we did some dates with Earth, Wind & Fire. So it was it was competition. But, you know, for most of the parts, we were, we were never headlining 
most of those shows. We were somewhere in the middle. We opened for the Commodores. It was just us and the Commodores. And uh, the Jacksons was just us and the Jacksons. But then we did a lot of those big places like the Dome in Atlanta. And we had, you know, the OJs, Confunction, LTD, Commodores. And we'd be somewhere in the middle. And we used to always talk shit. <laughs> yeah, my favorite, one of my was favorite it, Was guys, it Friendly Fire? Yeah, it was always Friendly Fire. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, my, my favorite, one of my favorite guys of all time is Eddie LeVert. Mm-hmm. I just, I thought he was probably one of the best entertainers I've ever seen. Because that dude brought it every single night. I knew there was not going to be one night that went by where he was not going to bring it. So we used to talk shit to each other. And he was like, well, I'm going to sing Love Ballad tonight. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm going to sing I'll Be Sweeter Tomorrow. Tonight. To, but it was always, it was friendly. It was friendly. You know, it's, it didn't start getting ugly until... God, like the '90s and them groups started going crazy. Wow. It was shooting going on. At my, sound era. Checks. <laughs> yeah, my, right. my era. My yeah. era. <laughs> I mean, it was all kind of wild stuff. Like, going I, was, on, I, was, I always used Fights. to wonder how friendly it got because you know you listen to um, what is it, a Funkadelics? Let's take, Let's it, to take the stage. it to the stage, and right. it's like slicking the family brick, and you know, it's, it's oh called, yeah, they used to talk a lot. Yeah, of stuff, so but. I was just wondering, you know, did anybody ever get offended? You know, was, was anybody? Well, I thought it was funny. Actually, yeah. I, it didn't offend me. Okay. You know. Yeah, I thought it was funny. They had some names for us. They they said we had a two on our funk. <laughs> oh wait, what? Two. LTD had a two on the funk. <laughs> like we had a, like we cut it twice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty damn funny. <laughs> so with um with at, I think the first time that we sort of communicated was when the uh, the new edition biopic came on. Were right. you were you surprised at all that they covered holding on in that, or did they ever tell you like that was our? No, Johnny kept hinting to me, you know, when they were doing. It. He said, "Man, you gonna you're, gonna, you're gonna like this. You're gonna like this." I said, "Really?" He said, "Oh yeah, man, we did it right." He said, "We, we did it right. You're gonna you're gonna see." But uh, I, I remember meeting them when they had first come out, and uh, you know, the Brooke, their their manager, the choreographer, Brooke did everything. Brooke, yeah, you know he. They did a show and they opened up for me and uh, he came, to, he said, man, I need you to come to the dressing room and talk to these kids. They're so wild, man. He said, they need, and they love you, man. They love your, they love holding on. They love all your songs. So if you come and speak with them, man, it would mean a lot. So I went to the dressing room and talked to them and they was wild. Like you said, they was just kids, man. They was having fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, that was the song they got their deal with, you know, holding on. So Yeah, when I was watching it, yeah. I was just like, Oh, it, and I was <laughs> I was more happy because uh, normally in cases like that, um, they'll try to dumb down to the, you know, the lowest common denominator. And normally, like in, working a movie uh, music placement, usually the producer's like, well, why don't we pick a song that's more popular, da-da-da-da, right. whatever. Right. And so I knew that movie was serious when they – I was like, yo, they actually – and I called yeah. the uh, Barry. I called the uh, uh, the music supervisor. I was like, "How'd that even happen?" He's like, "Yep, we wanted to keep authentic and real, and that's the song they always." Yeah. That was the song. Always and rehearsed. They they, uh, they slicked it up a little bit with Jimmy and uh, Jimmy and Terry. Jimmy and Terry put a little put a little hardcore groove on it. It was funky. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, they uh, and then you know, I ran into Bobby at some function. He was like, "Man." 
They gave you more play than they gave me in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Played your song more than they played mine. <laughs> um, were you shocked at all at the at the uh, the the reception of how Stranger uh, got embraced in the dance hall community at all? Or Stranger in the song Stranger? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't expect it to be that kind of a song you know uh but it's uh and i hate to ask this because i want to <laughs> i want to ask a sampling question and then <laughs> yeah. open up the door like wait oh, well, i didn't it, know it's, that it's been sampled a million times oh okay you oh, know about oh, it a million times that lick <laughs> if i got paid for every time someone sang that la na 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 i'd be going to the bank yeah i was gonna I say mean, they, like everybody ripped that that is held that is held down dance hall music for so right. long that i was like yo i really kind of hope uh you know that's where that you know that copyright thing comes in you know you get four bars yeah. to you, know, you got to change it on the fourth bar and it's and you're safe what uh, who did uh um i'm trying to figure out who initially did it oh no 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 Oh no no no! Think Kelly, R. Kelly. No, he, well, he 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 was the big. He was really, but yeah. he but no, it's the the dance hall guy. Uh, oh, um, I dun, dun, yeah, dun, I know dun, you're talking dun, about. Dun, but I can't dun, remember the name. I can't remember dun, the name. Because my very first gold record came from him as well. Oh, <laughs> well, he he sampled. Uh, Who am I? Uh, Tim Seema, who got the fish? Oh, ah, so you guys are music college. I know, yeah. but we're. Uh, I'm, I'm failing today. Now oh, I feel I'll, we, I'll, I'll we have up. to look it up now. Yeah. No, well, I was saying that my my very first gold record for the longest was the only gold record I could claim, <laughs> <laughs> not my own. <laughs> was for Beanie Man sample sample. <laughs> All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Your eventual exit uh, from the group, going into your solo career, you said that it wasn't amicable. So you no. gave yourself like at least a year to... Well, I had to sit out a year before I could even sign with the NM because of this songwriters agreement. Because they really wanted to sign me as a writer on the publishing side and as an artist. So they wanted the deal to run concurrently. And uh, so I was tied up with them and they wouldn't give me a release. And they told me that if I gave them a piece of my contract, they'd give me a release. So there was some ugly stuff going on. So I said, I'll sit this year out. <laughs> Wait, so you were, you were signed, you had, to, you had to sign the LTD and with A&M? Like- no, I had, uh, I had a, a songwriter's agreement signed with LTD. Okay. And it was another year on it. Okay. And so A&M Records wanted to sign me concurrently at, with a publishing deal and as an artist. And it- so they came to A&M and said, well, we'll make a deal. If he gives us a piece of this and a piece of that, we'll give it. And I'm like, I'm not giving up a piece of nothing no more. So I just sat a year out. So so is that why the Devotion and the Shine On record were so released in proximity? Because in my head, and you can't even find the, the, the Devotion album anymore on streaming services or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's hard to find. Was it just like, <clears throat> okay, let's get this out with and then that's it? No, I don't think so. They, they you know, they... They put a little time into the record. It, it didn't affect that record. Okay. It affected their next record, though, right. uh, because you know the company wasn't happy about what happened. With, so, because they had a, their their last record on A and M was after I left the song, but they had April Love on that song, and uh, yeah. But that kind of affected their deal, you know, because they basically uh, went back and said. Was another it was a whole this is a whole nother thing. Now they went over budget with that record, so the record company said, "Oh, okay." They called me. They said, "Okay, we got a wedge now. They're over budget, so maybe I can work a deal with them, and uh, we'll give them the rest of the money if they give you the release." So I said, "Cool." So ah, they worked the deal. It worked in your favor. And no, but they didn't hold up to their end of the deal, LTD, <laughs> which is why there was only one record left that they had. Yes, so. It could have been. Could have been. Hey, man. Great well, group, though. I love it. I mean, yeah, it's a great group. So with your solo record, I mean, was it a, a feeling of relief finally? like, Or was it fear? Like, okay, I'm here alone. Yeah, I'm was, responsible for everything. And Well, it was a little bit of both. Because I couldn't, I didn't have, I, you know, Bounce. now I'm out front. It was like, I got it now. Because my name was never out front of the group. It was always just LTD. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're on stage and you always feel the comfort of having 10 other, nine other people behind you. So now it's just me. And not and not ever having my name out there, I, I didn't know if people, people didn't know my name. They knew my voice. They didn't know my name. So the biggest, uh, the biggest thing we had, the obstacle we had was to associate the name with the voice, which is why my first record was just called Jeffrey Osborne. 
Because back then, radio used to backlog everything and front log everything. Mm -hmm. So it'd be, okay, this is Really Don't Need No Light by Jeffrey Osborne from the album Jeffrey Osborne. So they'd have to keep saying Say my name. name. So it kind of, yeah, it, so it happened kind of quick. Uh, but uh, George, you know, working with George was great too. It helped to have, I just felt solid. You know, when you have like a guy that is that musically incredibly solid doing your project, you've... I felt good about that. I'm like, well, I know it's going to be musically right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you you personally chose him? Yeah. Or were there, yeah, were there no. any other options? Like, did you? Well, you know, they the record company was really cool. They said, you know, do we want to uh, we want to find the right person for you? You know, so I I, I talked to a few other people, but uh, when I met George, I was like sold on George. You know, just okay. uh, you know, and I had we had done shows with George, so I had met George before. Uh, but he was, man, what a guy. Talent. Okay, I'm dying right now because I just Wikipedia the his first solo record. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that Steve Ferroni was the drummer on that album. And Steve Ferroni, and now this is what's funny. George didn't even know Steve Ferroni. But I had done gigs How do you with... not know? He didn't know Steve Ferroni because George was into more than Dugo Chancellors, you know, the those kind of fusion kind of drummers more so so right. and i had been doing shows with awb you know a lot of shows and he, he was my favorite drummer i used to sit there and he was i just was fascinated he had the most incredible press roll i ever heard it's his he favorite like, drummer too i'm like how do you do that yes yes <laughs> so i was like i told george i said man i would love to have this drummer, Steve Ferroni, he said, I don't know, man. I don't know Steve. I said, man, I'm telling you. He said, well, he's in New York. We got to fly him in. We got to put him up. I said, it's going to be worth it, George. It's going to be worth it. He said, I am going to trust you on this. Wait and a minute. Now I have to listen to this entire record because, God, even the double hit at the end of One of the Wings of Love. Right. <laughs> Yo, wait till I tell my bandmates. <laughs> <laughs> That's Steve. Steve Ferrone is my idol. And really? the reason why I drum. Damn, that he's one of my idols, man. His, him, his, his, him and Bernard Purdy. Yeah. His, those his, are my boys. His black and white kit that he used on the AWB tour, like right. his only drum kit. Right. He gave me that snare drum my first day of the Tonight Show. Are you serious? Yeah, like I was raised on AWB. When I saw him on Soul Train, <laughs> I was like, that's what I want to do for a living. So he gave me that on my first day at, wow. at, at the Tonight Show. Yo, what an incredible that, dude, that's man! Steve Ferron drumming on "On the Wings of Love." Yeah, he played on that. Speaking of which, we have now we have that in common. Yes, now for the next ninety minutes, <laughs> Sugar Steve. Oh, I mean, are we at that? Yes, it, we're, we're we're there. I, I set you up for the alley oop. This is it feels ridiculous. I mean, this guy's telling us an actually. I mean, he. No, <laughs> don't be ashamed. Listen, Steve has. I've been waiting for you to tell this story to our listeners. We've we've been. Throughout the history of the show, right, they've known that "On the Wings of Love" means something to Steve, but we never thoroughly explained. Oh, really? Yeah, but why? I mean, first of all, you're going to feel silly telling no, that in front I, of. No, I just got. I'm a Jewish person. I have ten disclaimers I want to put first. Don't and then... do it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Jeffrey, have you ever had someone just nerd out on you? Yeah, and I'm, it's been a little right. awkward. Well, one hundred and one won't hurt you. No, 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 no. no. Just, just, it's, it's just. not awkward at all. I've told the story literally a hundred times, a hundred times in my life. So um, it's not awkward. It's awkward telling it to you, but uh, just um, pretend he's not here. Yeah, um, no, but um, Steve, and I, tell us about on the wings of love. I'm just talk to me and Bill. I'm about to. I'm okay, about thank to. you. I'm going to tell it to Jeffrey though, actually, if you don't mind. All right, um, well, I'm going to eat my oatmeal. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, but um, and I'm sure you've heard a thousand and one stories about this song and people's experiences with this song. Yeah, weddings, I'm sure, right. and of, and yeah. this, that, and the other thing. Um, but for me, uh, so what? 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 What is it? 1982 now? Is yeah. it? Is yes. That, <laughs> um, so I was 11 or 12 or something like that in seventh or eighth grade, and um, and so uh, junior high, and uh, we had music. It was a music class. And uh, one of the assignments, uh, Mr. Gallo was the teacher. And um, the assignment was uh, called a rollout, which was um, basically you take, uh, you choose a song and you um, do illustrations based on the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And then you go in front of the class, you play the song, and as the song plays, you roll out the scroll of illustrations right. as the lyrics go by. Um, so that was my favorite song at the time. It was in the top 10 or whatever, and I was completely digging it and um so i chose that song and i worked for weeks on this rollout and i had the markers and the crayons and i went to town i mean it's these you know as the first verse starts and all the sunshine I, right. you know everything was sun and love and wings and hearts and um <laughs> i'm having but, a hard time seeing this coming from you and you didn't <laughs> say, and and you didn't say this was junior high i thought this was elementary no, there's just like seventh grade or something like that. Okay, so, junior high. Okay, right out of elementary school, but okay. whatever, whatever grade you're in when you're eleven or twelve. So, um, so I did this. I mean, I really, I have to say, I did a great job on this thing. Real proud of it. And uh, went into school uh, the day that we were presenting it. And um, so, um, sitting in the class, and Mr. Gallo says, "All right, well, the the boys are going to go first. And so the first boy went up and uh, and uh, put. Uh, he says, "All right, you know." Um, my song is uh, Black Sabbath, uh, War Pigs. <laughs> and uh, proceeds to play War Pigs and rolls out this, this rollout. And uh, next, next boy comes up and he says, uh, yeah, this is, uh, my song is Van Halen, Running With The Devil. You know, <laughs> does his thing. <laughs> next kid comes up. Deep purple, smoke on the water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you see where this is going. I see where this is going. <laughs> so uh, next, next up, Stephen Mandel. Uh, you know, come to the front of the class. By this point, I know, I know that things are have gone horribly awry for me already, <laughs> and are about to go much more horribly awry. Um, of course, with all due respect. Um, to the greatness of your song. Um, so I go up to the front of the class, hearts beating, everybody looking at me, put my cassette in, you know, in the boom box. <laughs> Piano starts. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, the intro, and then the first verse starts. I start rolling out my scroll. Here comes the sun. Here comes the hearts. Here comes the wings. And I see... All the girls looking at me like falling in love. <laughs> and I see all the dudes pointing and laughing and screaming. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I had to. I had to. Sorry, go, go. Um, and uh, it was, uh, you know, it was clearly at that moment when I realized, you know, um, that uh, I wasn't cool, uh, I guess, according to. So I was uh, essentially um, excommunicated for the next, hmm, I don't know, 
six years oh, from the oh my <laughs> from the social scene of my junior high and then high school. Um, I was I was beat up, mocked, oh my God. laughed at. Uh, of course, uh, now uh, keep stomp, them, beat up and whooped. But here's the, here's the um, the the end or the punchline rather, which is um, uh, the joke was on them because I got an A plus. And uh, and it took a it took a few years to recover from that socially, but uh, wow. never I never turned my back on the song though. I never said oh, I, I never said that I was song. If every time you heard it, you no, kind of no. went into a... the opposite. Man. No, the opposite. he went deep into what what's which actually leads me to my next question. Uh, because the song got so much traction on MR, which is I don't know what that's. What is it? Middle oh, of the road. Mid- M- oh yeah, yeah. M O R. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, at least in '82, there's a, there's there's a pattern that I noticed of '70s acts, uh, '70s soul acts that go solo, right. or mm-hmm. um, sort of go to a promised land. Like, I, I never thought it was a thing of, okay, what do I have to do to survive or justify my record deal? And I never, you know, and I, I've read some of that stuff in Jet Magazine, like, oh, going pop or whatever, or crossing over. But, you know, between Cool and the Gang, the Pointer Sisters, uh, Lionel, Michael Jackson, right, whatever. I mean, there, there's, there's this, this migration into... Uh, a new uncharted black smooth black pop territory mm-hmm. that you're kind of planting your flag and not occupying. I mean, at the time with On the Wings of Love, did you feel as though, okay, this is this might have the potential to be something more than it was? Or to you it was just like, oh, got another ballot here. This is it. No, I think uh you know, On the Wings of Love to me was uh, a chance to showcase another side of myself okay. that I hadn't really had that opportunity with LTD. Because LTD, most of the ballots were straight up R&B ballots. Mm-hmm. So this was the first chance I got it. Because I always felt, you know, I mean, I, I want to be able to sing everything. Well, no matter what it is, I want to be able to sing that. And I never really got The closest thing we came to it was the year before was Shine On. Mm-hmm. Which was again written with Richard Kerr, who right. was one of those, you know, big songwriters back then, and uh, that didn't do as well as the R and B records on uh, on that record. I mean, the R and B songs like "Where Did We Go Wrong" those were bigger than "Shine On." But I just felt like it was a nice departure, and still trying to keep the record so that it was, you know, it had an R&B flavor to it. I, was, I didn't want to leave the R&B roots, but I did want something that might go across. It was it was weird back in the 70s. I mean, it was a time we couldn't put our faces on the record covers. Yeah. You know, you, you remember that. Mm-hmm. You know, the rack jobbers, they wouldn't rack it. and uh, So it was weird. And, and uh, we didn't even get a chance to have the pop department work our records at, at A&M Records. We, they never even worked our records. Back in Love just crossed over on its own. Really? They didn't know what happened. They looked up and it was on pop shots. Like, whoops. Oh, well, whoops. Oh, okay. So then, now they want to take credit for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah, right. You did nothing. So, yeah. So, I I kind of made, you know, it was one of those songs when I heard it, I was like, I wrote it with this guy, a piano player. And I, when he played it for me, I was like, I like that. That's 
kind of showcases another side. So. Well, now I'm, I'm realizing that uh, you had every monster on this album. Between well, there were some Jackson people on there, and uh, yeah, Ernie Watts had, and and uh, Larry Graham and Larry Graham did a yeah, this Michael Cimbello, uh, and Lewis Lewis Johnson, Johnson, Lewis Johnson, yeah, Mike Cimbello, and was Hawk a, uh, Hawk Walensky. I wrote a couple of songs. Yeah, really, really don't, don't need, need no light. light. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So no, he had some people on that record. Yeah. So at the time, were you just like a kid in the candy store? Like, I want the best of the best to work on this record and. Well, I was, I mean, but you know, it wasn't just me, it was George. You know, George was like, yeah, we got Getting have George this guy. means that yeah, he has the exactly, connections to get. Exactly, okay. and, and a lot of those people had worked with George before, with the exception of Ferroni, you know. And I don't know if Mike Zimbello had worked with him before, but uh, Mike was incredible dude, man. Mike could play, play in, and Mike could sing too. Mike was talented. Yeah, you know, this is blowing my mind that so, I didn't realize that he's Farone's on all all these records. <laughs> so Peter Schles, uh, Peter Pe Schles, yeah, he's he. I wrote the song with Peter Schles, and, and when the, I, it's funny, I played played it for George, and he was playing it real fast, you know. George said, "Nah, I, don't, I ain't hearing that." <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm like George, I'm gonna slow it down, you know. I'm gonna get this melody's gonna be right. I'm gonna write these incredible lyrics. Uh, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to. You're gonna really have to turn my head on this one. So, I finally brought it into him. He said, "Oh, okay, yeah, I like that. I like that." And that was the first single on this record. No, really, don't need no light. Really, don't first, need, yeah. Was the first single. I even when um, queuing up his his singles for it. For some reason, I really don't need no light, and don't you get so mad in my head? They're the same song. The yeah. same song, yeah. and then I realized, like, oh wait a minute. They are two different songs. They're two different songs, but yeah, they got that same vibe. And they were written by totally different people, which is interesting, you know. Uh, how did, I know that Barry Mann and Cynthia, uh, Cynthia, wow. Cynthia well, they Cynthia wrote, wow. uh, We're Going Our Way. Yeah. Did, okay, so yeah. in, in the songwriters period of, of the 80s and, was it just that you go to a publishing house and they give you a slew of cassettes to listen to and you Yeah, that's basically How do you Yeah, generally back then, you know, all these publishing companies they kind of put the word out. You know, when an artist is getting ready to do a record, you put the word out and then you start getting stuff submitted, you know, from all the other different publishing companies and that's basically how it worked. And uh but with Barry Man Cynthia Wow, they actually came to me and uh said they had a song that they thought would be good for me. And I mean, you know, here's a duo that had probably number one hit records going as far back as, you know, the leader of the pack. And yeah. All that stuff. I mean, you know, every year they had a number one record. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I was like, I'm sure not going to turn this down. So, yeah, so it was it was, uh, it was was great getting a song from them. And that's an intricate kind of a song. I mean. So they tailor made it just for you? I don't know if they tailor made it, tailor -made it for me. I think that they had written this song and they okay. thought that it would be good for me not like i went to them in front and said write me a song you know they came in with the song and i was like yeah this is this is a nice piece of work yeah. i could tell that a m was really behind the baby stay with me tonight because um <laughs> that's the commercials funny. that's funny though because a m told me i should take go back and sing that song again i sang it too low what that's i'm telling you this just stories when you think yeah, they told me, um, nah, you didn't. This ain't right. You got to go back and sing. It's too low. Your voice is too low. I'm like, 
too low. That's my voice. Who was your A and R on this project? Back then, uh, I'm trying to think. Well, Charlie Minor was the pop A and R guy. I think it was this guy named Barry. I can't think of his last name. It was so long ago. Really? <laughs> yeah, but they they basically told me, uh, uh, I think you missed it, and you should go back and resing it. And I'm like. I'm not gonna go back and resing this. This is how it's supposed to be. That's weird because what do you want, what do you want me to do now? Singing any other octave in the falsetto? <laughs> the the commercial spots that they had for the album almost made it almost like uh, James Bondish, like Osborne, <laughs> Osborne, like the the own oh, the logo and all that. Like right. they showed a lot during like Soul Train and and Solid Gold. So that was uh, Raymond Jones, who. Uh, actually wrote that song and uh it was kind of all of his vision you know he came in he wanted alfonso johnson to play bass i mean he kind of had it oh scoped out. that's who played bass okay yeah alfonso johnson and uh you know raymond had raymond was a talented guy you know he was with chic all those years and uh real talented guy was, okay. there, there was a different song for that period because I, it's funny because I, I hear that song now on the radio and it kind of almost sounds like what's going on today. It's it's actually sounds fresher it's than a, anything else I've done, and still it's an, an '80s song. Yeah, you it's know? it's stood the test of time. Yeah, it Weird. had all the gimmicks and that was you know, Hawk Walensky was the gimmick guy too. Really? Oh, that guy would come in. He he was the first person I ever seen come in with that Lynn drum machine, and. uh Sequence plain love was completely sequenced, and George was freaking out. George was like, Hawk Walensky did plain was, love, yeah. He wrote it, he ah, <laughs> that's my shit, yeah. He was uh, George was like, George was not into that. He was like, I don't know, man. This is, I don't know about this sequence stuff, man. You serious, said, yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't crazy about just the way it was laid out, but I mean, as we got into it. He was like, okay, all right, I see what he's going after. But, you know, there was like syndromes on there and some weird Yeah, and stuff. even the 12-inch mix of it. Like yeah, The 12-inch was, that's the only 12-inch mix that I liked of any song that was ever mixed of mine. I hate all the mixes. And yes. That, that's the only one I like. Even the, to this day, I DJ the 12-inch mix of it. <laughs> no, it, 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 it works like that was a, That was the number one dance song in New York when it was out. Yes, it was. Yeah. That was like, yeah. that was a B-boy classic. It had a break in the middle and all that stuff. When I come to New York to do shows, I have to do Plain Love. And I don't do it most of the time, but I have to do it here. I was going to, okay, so eventually one of these days, uh, you know, we're going to have you sit in on the Tonight Show. <laughs> right. We've been waiting for this moment forever, and we were kind of on our group chat and like, okay, what are the six, what do we make them do? What do we make it do? And... <laughs> So, you know, one slot's filled right <laughs> yes, here. Yes, we know, we know. But this that's morning, a, I was like, least of a song to play. It's funny you that, say that. That's a keyboard nightmare. But in my head, I was like, yo, will he? Because in my head, like, even the deep cuts, like Soweto, right. uh, Plain Love, like all, I was just like, uh, he probably don't do that no more. He'll just. I do it. I do it. Uh, uh, it just depends. Uh, but I, I've been doing it a lot lately, actually, Plain Love. Yeah, I've been doing it a lot lately. Mm, okay. I have a question about a song real quick. Yeah. Um, 
was I Just Want to Be Your Friend ever released on an album? <laughs> it was on that soundtrack album. There was a soundtrack It was on it? the soundtrack. Okay, I can't find yeah. that soundtrack anywhere. What is it on? The Toy. The Toy. With uh, Richard Pryor yeah, it was and on Jack the, It was on the Toy. It was, it was, a, it was a theme song. <laughs> How do you credit. even know that song? Oh, man, I love I The Toy. I told nobody even knows that no, song exists. The Toy is one of my favorite movies right. ever. So, of course, I've seen the intro like a billion times and it opens the movie. So It does. It's yeah. so funny. I mean, my, my wife, you know, every now and then... She'll be that movie will come on and she'll care. I can't believe that she's singing this song. I used to love that song. Come on. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. So you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You uh, worked with <laughs> with Rod Timberton. How did you get... Um, I know that he opened the... Uh, yeah, he sorry. did. I got to look up the emotional oh, record. It wasn't... The, it was, was we it Belong to Love. We Belong to Love was the song, yeah. Yeah, he. I know that <laughs> Rod Timberton did that one. Did you... Did he collaborate with you directly or was it just like... No, he wrote it. I was trying to collaborate with him, but, you know, Rod's a different kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. Rod's like, uh, okay, all right. Well, well, well mate, we'll, 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 mate we'll, uh, we'll, we'll try to make this work. He didn't pull any teeth And then he calls out. me and says, well, I got the song. <laughs> did he pull his teeth as he did it? <laughs> yeah, he's oh, Rod. No, he, he always... Right, that's Rod, right. Uh, Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I hate the fact that I'm seeing this in real time. Hamish Stewart... Soweto. Soweto? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Really? Yeah. How, Hamish, how, how? Hamish brought the song to me. I didn't, I was like, wow, I like this song. Really? Yeah. yeah. 
I know it's kind of weird, isn't it? Did you think about him? How did I not think know about that? that song? Yeah, like so. How I can't believe even... there's something you don't know, cause damn, you know every damn thing. You know more about me than I do. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I'm, I'm just saying that. You know what it is? I have most of your discography on cassette. Right. A lot of those credits aren't in then the cassette. Exactly. Oh, they're so tiny you can't so, read. So yeah, I did. I yeah. didn't have it in. No, if it was on record, if I had the records, actual albums, no, the, I would the writing's really fucking small on here too. <laughs> no, but I mean, dude, I would have. That's a lot bigger than anything you're gonna get today, though. <laughs> if you get anything, I have a a, a question. Um, yeah, whose decision or or request or desire was it to have Brian May from Queen on uh, "Stay with oh, Stay with Me man. Tonight"? That was actually my manager, uh, Jack Nelson, who used to manage Queen. Oh wow! And uh, he did the guitar solo. He did the guitar solo on uh -huh. "Stay With Me Tonight." Yeah. Okay. So he said, "He, you know, he said, well, maybe I can talk Brian into doing it." I said, "Really? That would be really good if Brian came in and did it." And he came in and did it. Great guy. So Great were, guy. were you a Queen fan? At, yeah, at I was. The, yeah, I knew a lot of their stuff. I wasn't like a big Queen fan, but I I knew a lot of their material and. Uh, and who, I was shocked at some of the songs that Brian May wrote. I mean, I didn't know he wrote We Will Rock You. Mm -hmm. That's like in every stadium yeah. across the country. Dude's incredible. I can't read. Who played bass on Stay With Me Tonight? Um, Alfonso Johnson. Oh, okay. Sorry you said that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So with um, You Should Be Mine, which, of course, the magic's in the woo-woo-woo ad-libs. Mm. I mean, how is that presented to you in a way where you're like, okay, this will work? Or because the thing is, is like hearing you sing, and I'm like, right. oh yeah, hell yeah, that shit. Will. But I can't imagine you hearing the demo, right? And saying like, yep, this is going to work for me. Like, how did I? I didn't really know until I sang it, and once I sang it, I liked it. And I, you know, back then, you know, you bring everything home. And you bring it home and you put it on in the house, you know, and you listen. House tested. And, then, and my three-year-old daughter, she, she's the one that confirmed it. I mean, she barely can talk. And she's like, Daddy, wow, that woo-woo song is so good. I'm like, what? I like the, I said, it's not called the woo-woo song. It's called You Should Be Mine. She said, no, that's the woo-woo song. <laughs> I bet you every black and person you ever met says <laughs> the woo-woo song. Can yeah. you woo-woo-woo? Everyone, everyone. I mean, they, you know, they'll just I yell it out from somewhere. But yeah, that was a huge song, man. I became the woo-woo man all of a sudden. I was like, what? <laughs> you did. In why? Why did uh, you and Duke stop working together after the um, the emotional album? That was a record company kind of decision. They felt that we got there, but we didn't get where they thought I should be. And they thought Richard, they Perry, Richard Perry was the hottest thing out right then. So it was all for good reasons, but it kind of broke up a really good relationship that I had with George. And so I was kind of reluctant. And then it turned out so bad. I was like, wow, that was not good. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of them. They came to me and they said, well, you know, these guys are hot, man. They got all these hit records. And, you know, Richard is great at finding good songs and this and that. And so... You know, I gave it a shot, and uh, in know. in their mind, did they say like, okay, well, you should be in Lionel territory now, or like, where, where was their point of satisfaction? 
I think they felt that I should have been, uh, that I could reach another plateau in their mind, you know. Uh, and I, I have to credit them with by saying, you know, they were looking out, you know, trying to do the best that they thought was in my interest. And I was kind of curious about it because I'm like, wow, these guys do have, this Richard Perry does have a serious track record of hits. And he brought in the big people, the Diane Warrens and all them and, uh, you know, the only thing that worked off that record was the woo so. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, that still ducks away, though. Yeah. But. But I mean, you know, oh, Soweto was great, too. It was, it was a couple of good songs on there. But, uh, you know, for the most part, it didn't, the relationship didn't work out with me and Richard. Uh, and uh, Was it just, like, because I often wonder when you have mega, a mega producer of, of that level. And I guess he, he did the breakout record with, uh, sisters right yeah so when you have a mega producer that is probably often in demand it's probably paint by numbers if he's an industry like okay i got you this week and then i got right, there that exactly. week and then, then. right so do you feel as the least with the, the chemistry between you and george was that you guys sat down and took time to socialize with right. each other and got to know. Well, and be on top of that, we were really good friends, you know. So we had a really good, relaxed relationship, you know. And you come into Richard, and it's more of a hyper kind of thing where, you know, he's and 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 he was never satisfied with anything. So that was confusing me. I'm like, how could have someone have all this success and he's never satisfied? He, you know, he would have. You know, back then you had your, your master 24 track and he would have like five slaves. I'm like, dude, when, when are you going to put all these up? Right. You know? <laughs> so it was it, it was interesting process working with Richard. And we thought it would it would actually, you know, just lead to more and more success, basically. You made a move to Arista for. Yeah, I did. That was an interesting move, too. Was it Clive selling you the dream of I can make this happen? Oh, exactly. Exactly. Because I actually was torn between Clive and Motown. Because Barry Gordy was made a big pitch for me. Wait, in 1990? Yeah. But Motown wasn't really smoking hot then. Okay. It was it was on the downside at that point. Uh, and Clive, you know, Clive did his number. He offered, you know, me the, you know. The right number, the right, the right, yeah. But then I, I, we clashed. Me and Clive kind of clashed because he doesn't like a strong personality. He likes somebody that's just gonna do whatever he says. And you know, I didn't have a problem as long as it was right. But then, you know, this is, this is a guy that wants a saxophone solo on every record. There couldn't be no other, no other solo. I see you and Kenny. Right yeah, now. it's got to be saxophone, soprano. On every record. <laughs> Take that off. Put a saxophone on. This is exactly right. <laughs> Sorry. So we that's, had a we had a That's the Arista <laughs> That's the Arista sax. Like <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The Arista sax. <laughs> I mean if you think right. about it, it's, it's, it's right. that Jeff Lorber it's, it's kind of it's the Kenny G thing for sure. Yeah, so we you know, the first record I, I had a great time with the uh Barry, uh Barry Eastman. Uh, okay. He did basically the whole record. So I came back here to New York and worked with Barry. And I, I love Barry. He was a great guy to work with. Uh, but I, I don't think really Clive went after that record. I mean, Only Human was was a hit. And then he kind of like fell off after that by going after it. He He thought If My Brother's in Trouble was a hit. And he kind of pushed that song on me. 
Okay. It wasn't a song that I selected. And that's another way you run into problems with Clyde. He's so involved and he wants to basically tell you what you should have on your record and pick your songs. So I had a hard time with that because, you know, I never had anybody telling me, well, you need to do this song. No, take that off, put this song on, do that. And so we kind of clashed heads and I think my personality was a little too strong. He doesn't... Clive, he doesn't like confrontation. And he and does he give you at least the... The, the warning in the beginning, like, look, like, just let me drive the car, and I swear we'll get you to. I've heard the pitch. Well, I've heard yeah, the Clyde yeah, pitch yeah. before. Like, I'll take you to made, places. Exactly. He gave me that whole pitch, and then he, you know, he, he makes it sound right, you know. You, you don't realize you're going to go into a situation where, like, my second record, After Only Human, was mm -hmm. three years before he could decide on what songs I was supposed to sing. So at that point, it got crazy, and so we we worked on an agreement to uh, to get a release. So I only did one record with Arista. Okay, was uh, especially in the late eighties and early nineties, uh, was the onslaught of New Jack Swing and what was happening with traditional R and B was that troublesome for you at the time? Like, well. I'm not going to have to do the running man now in these videos. <laughs> Pull James Ingram. Get the Teddy Riley record. Oh, that's right. James Ingram did a Teddy Riley record. Yeah, Teddy Riley record. It's real. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that what? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, I just never gave in to that. I, you know, it was all around me and I, it was temptation. Maybe I should go this way, but I kind of said, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm just going to try to stay doing what I do. You know, I mean, I think what happens with veteran artists is that, you know, you get to a point where there's there's always something new coming in. There's always a new flavor, especially with R and B and black audiences, they're they're on to the next hip thing all the time. So if you don't keep up, you kinda just kinda get pushed back and then radio does the same thing. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, if it doesn't fit this format Mm -hmm. You're not going to get played, and they can't appreciate, you know, what you have to offer. Although they play your old stuff, they won't play the stuff you, you know. And so then there's the sellout point. Well, you know, you know, do you do this? And then they say you're selling out. So it's a kind of a catch twenty two, as you get longer and longer into your career, it becomes a, it becomes a challenge. It's a demographic battle. You know, you're fighting for the people that actually go out and buy the records, which are the younger crowd, the younger crowd. And it happens in every entertainer's life. I see people getting, all my f favorite singers got phased out when I was hot. You know, they were like still doing their thing, but radio wasn't embracing it and they didn't want to flip over to do this. And so I guess it's a natural process of evolution. The only person I've seen weather the whole damn storm is damn Tony Bennett. I can't figure him out. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> This guy is like 90 years old. He won't go nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, he ain't going nowhere. He'll still be And here. still singing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Still sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Touring wise, what's, what are your favorite territories? Uh, well, you know, I think here in the U.S., you know, there's always markets that you like to come to. You know, New York is one. Uh, this, there are tough markets. New York's a tough market. Is it? Yeah. Well, you better even be, now. You better be good in New York, or they'll let you know it. Yeah, even now. 
I think so. Well, I I'm not relevant to what's Jeffrey happening. Jeffrey Osborne released 14 instant classics like back at. But yeah, but you still better be good when you go out there to do them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can't phone it in from home. No. Oh, okay. You know, you got New York. You better York. do all the Mad Libs right. at the end of Love Ballad, or else they're gonna be like, "Wait, mama, you missed one." <laughs> oh. That's funny. But yeah, I mean, you know, these are to me New York, Philly, DC. Those are the those are the markets that actually break you. You know, the West Coast markets, so they kind of follow, they kind of follow suit. But uh, these are the tough markets. So I, I like New York. I like Philly. I like D.C. And then my favorite place is uh, New Orleans because New Orleans is just crazy. Man. They just love everything down there. Yeah. They, they love they everything. They drink 24-7. So <laughs> the, party, the party's already started. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you what know. About, what about outside of the United States? Like where is a market you know, that's. Uh, I like Japan the islands. Or, okay. I love the islands. Okay. You know, uh, I just have a fun time there. I like the people. I feel like I'm right at home. And uh, they've supported me forever there. I mean, Shine On is like the national anthem exactly. in Jamaica. Exactly. Uh, it's like, what? Yeah. Nowhere else in the world. <laughs> Shine On, national anthem. Yeah. But it's interesting, you know, because I... You know, I I don't do a lot abroad. You know, I've done Europe, but not a lot of Europe, uh, you know. And I'm just getting calls from Sweden. Like, mm-hmm. we want you over here in Sweden. I've never been to Sweden. So there's places that, there's places I've never performed. A lot of places I've never performed. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. You got to do it. Um, wh- Wait, where do you reside now? Where I live you- in L.A. Okay, okay. I've been in L.A. since 1970. So, you know, I left with LTD back since 1970. So since so. that... Wait, you never told us at the beginning. Did you guys ever recover that trailer that went yeah, we over did. the mountainside? We did. <laughs> we beat up some of our equipment, uh, you know, but we recovered it and uh, got it back up the mountain there and uh, put it back on, hitched it, and okay. went on our way to L.A. I thought you guys that were just was, like, oh, well, there's that. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's that. <laughs> no, we we got it back. You know, we had to get it back. We were broke-ass people. <laughs> we were like, we better get this equipment. <laughs> So you just released uh, "Worth It All," right? Uh, who did you work with on that on the on that record? I worked with me, okay. and that's it. I mean, really, I I wrote everything and I produced everything on the record. So cool. it's probably the first record that I wrote everything on. I have one song that I actually wrote with my son, and he's uh, it's like it's it's interesting. He's he's a junior, never was into music, went to school, played basketball, came home from college, and told me he raps now. I'm like, what? Really? I, I raised your ass and I never heard you rap once. <laughs> well, now, you know, I've been in the dorm with my friends and, uh, you know, we all started rapping and so I'm in the rap. So so he's doing his thing now. He's, you know, rapping and writing. He's now writing music and he's a great engineer. He does my sound, uh, live sound now. Okay. My, my sound engineer took him under his wing and he uh, taught him well because now when my engineer can't do it, he does my house and he's really good at it. Oh, okay. So... I figured uh, he hears different than I do. I'm like, okay, so let me, give me a track. Side note, that's also how I broke the news to my own dad that I was starting the roots. Really? I was like, oh, by the way. Uh, it was yeah. on your second album though, right? Well, yeah, and he saw in the newspaper, what is this? I was like, really? oh, <laughs> I, uh, a little project with uh, that hoodlum Tariq. Yeah, it's like our, <laughs> it took my second album to for me to break that news to my dad. Uh, <laughs> he wanted me in Juilliard and whatever. Right. Um, yeah, I I just have to say that this is 
This is amazing. Now I'm still salty that I let a Steve Rome project go on for so long <laughs> that I never knew about. I just saw him too. Oh man! I was at a show in uh, in L.A. Uh, one of the wineries in Temecula, mm-hmm. and he was on the gig playing with Mindy Abair. I'm like, what? Oh, okay. At least he's still gigging because after well, Tom he Petty, just let, he had just left Tom Petty. Yeah, yeah. And the Tom so, Petty at the time, so. so yeah. Well, Steve always has the best gigs. Yes, he, he does. He always has the best gigs. He does. He does. But he's still my favorite drummer, man. Yeah. And then I had I saw Bernard Purdy at one of my shows and. Uh, Really, in Houston, and that that just lit me up because I, I love that dude. Do you still play? I mean, the Rock Steady song that was it. Yeah, he revolutionized all that. Right. Uh, no, I don't play. I haven't played since 1970. Mm, I'm gonna say when Love Ballad became a hit. I was 75. The record company came to me and said, you have got to get up from behind the drums because I used to play and sing all the time. And they said, you know, this song is a hit with the ladies. They can't see you with four horn players standing in front of you. You got to get up. I didn't even know what to do with my hands. I was so used to singing and playing. So they got me this guy that was the president of a theater at the L.A. Community College, and he came in and he kind of worked with me and showed me how to kind of open up and, you know. Project. And from that point on, uh, I played on the next couple of records, but I never got a chance to really sit down and play, and my career kind of took off. And it's it's one of those instruments that is really touch sensitive. I mean, if you don't do it, I mean, I can sit down and play a groove, but when I start trying to get around it. <laughs> so never in concert were you like I used to, doing uh, I used get on to. drums? And- I, I did at one point. I used to play in the show, uh, but I don't anymore. And my band is... They've been on me to. You need to get back. You need to play at the show, man. You need to. Yeah, but I gotta shed. I mean, I gotta sit down and not have to shed. You gotta shed three months before I would even attempt. Man, it's like riding a bike. No, it ain't. (laughs) Okay, it ain't 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 quite. I mean, playing the groove, playing the groove is like riding a bike. But when you start getting around, you gotta do Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm here. Oh, so. But you know, I might get back into it. I, I, I just need to take the time out and sit down and do it because it was a. it was kind of what got me into this business, really. Awesome. It opened up the doors for me. Well, we thank you for it. Uh, Steve, any other things you... Nah, man. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Steve kind of opened up a lot. Yeah, man. Yo, really man. That really was therapeutic, good. Steve. It was. <laughs> my, my, my wings feel good right now. You feel good right yeah. now. Well, Mr. Osborne, we thank you so much. Oh, uh, man, it's been a pleasure, Hopefully man. one day you'll come on The Tonight Show and sit in with the group. Maybe we'll work yeah, together one I day. Know. Who that knows? That would be Isn't great, it? man. Yes. I got to get you guys to come down to my, you know, I have a celebrity golf tournament. I that wanted I've been to trying ask to get that. you. It's in July this year, the 29th, 30th, and 31st. The so Jeffrey Osborne Celebrity, celebrity golf. T- golf Tournament. It's an incredible tournament, man. And I have all the old school singers come. Smokey comes. OJ's come. Johnny Gill comes. Uh, Philip Bailey comes, and it's so it's more than just a tournament because we jam, okay. you know. And then you know Magic Johnson hosted for me every year, so I got Sugar Ray Leonard. I got the most the top athletes along with the best entertainers, and we just party, man. It's a three day party, man. It's in, it's incredible. It's at Foxwoods now. I gotta come. So it's at That's the close. casino, so everybody okay. loves that, you right? Know? We thank you very much for coming on the show. On behalf of Sugar Steve and Boss Bill and I'm Pay Bill and Fontigolo and Laia, who are not here, 
Na 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 na. Suckers. <laughs> yeah, suckers. <laughs> Y'all missed the classic. <laughs> anyway, this is Questlove, Questlove Supreme. We will see you on the next go round. Thank All you. All right, man. My All pleasure. Right. Voice Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.